0: I don't know if you've noticed, you might not have, because you might not have reason to go down there, but we're, we're having a small baby boom here at Henson Baptist Church. If you've not been down to the nursery, things have really kind of changed down there. Lots of babies have been born, lots of babies are present. And also, you may not have noticed this, but in the Henson connection, we're, we're now listing uh, the, the, the expectant parents so that you can know who is expecting in the months ahead and can be Praying for them. Now, when you when you do that, when you when you pray for a young mom who's expecting, what what, what do you pray for? I, I bet you pray. Um, I, I bet you pray for a healthy baby. I bet you pray for a safe delivery. You, you might pray for, for wisdom for the young parents. Uh, you, you, you might even pray that they will come to know Christ at an early age. I'll tell you one thing you never pray for. You never pray that they'll actually have a baby instead of, you know, like something else, like a hamster or a puppy. <laughs> you, you don't do it. I know you don't pray that. Now, I, I know that some of our young kids sometimes pray that mom might be able to have a puppy instead of a baby brother or sister. But you don't do that. You, you don't ever pray that. Well, wh- why not? Well, well, the reason is that you understand something very fundamental about this process, don't you? Right? You pray for these other things because there's no guarantee. Right? There's no guarantee that a young couple is going to conceive. And so you might pray that a young couple can conceive. Having conceived, there's no guarantee that they'll carry the baby to term. And so you pray for, for a safe and healthy delivery. Uh, well, a- after the delivery, of course, there's, there's no guarantee that, that that baby is going to grow up and have a, a happy and, and healthy life, and so you pray for those things. And of course, there's no guarantee that they're going to be, become a Christian, and, and so you pray for their conversion, but, but you don't ever pray that they'll actually be a baby instead of something else. You don't do it. Because you know that actually, having conceived, there's only one thing that can be conceived. It's it's a human life that is conceived every time, without fail, guaranteed. And now, what you might not think about is just, in, in one sense, how unlikely that is. I know some of us are looking at our kids, wondering, "Are you human?" But I, but I assure you, they are. They are fully human. And, and it is kind of amazing, actually. It is kind of amazing because, because at, at, a, at a kind of a biological level, that the processes that go on in human cells are, are basically the same as the processes that go on in animal cells. And, and actually, when you, when you get down and look at the DNA, uh, we share a vast amount of DNA with other kinds of creatures. So, so, how come sometimes, you know, it doesn't all get mixed up and, and come out as something else? And it's not just humans, right? Apple seeds never grow into orange trees. Never. Not just most of the time do they grow into apple trees, but occasionally there's an orange. No, no, never. Pigs never give birth to pigeons, not even once in the whole history of the world. I mean, think about it for a minute. Why is this? Well, it's because there's, a, there's just a principle in our world, a principle that is, that is built in, that is basic, to. and I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm, I'm belaboring the obvious, but, but sometimes it's really helpful to think about the obvious. There's this basic principle that never varies in our world, and that is that life produces more life according to its kind. It always reproduces itself. It never produces something else. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because what's true of physical life is also true of spiritual life. The result of spiritual life conceived, the result of, of spiritual life being born, being given, is spiritual life lived, guaranteed, no exceptions. This spring, we've been considering authentic Christianity using John's first letter. And, and this morning, as we, as we get into chapter 5, he's, he's wrapping it up, he's, he's, he's really summing things up. Throughout his letter, he has given us three different marks of genuine Christianity. Faith, love, and obedience. Now, at the beginning of chapter 5, he wants us to see that spiritual life is a package deal. All three marks are always present, and they are always present Despite any opposition they might encounter. They they always persevere. Spiritual life when it is born is then lived as spiritual life. Guaranteed. It always works this way. Tur- turn with me to first John chapter five, verse one. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provided, it's, this is found on page 1,903. 1,903. I want to read the first five verses of chapter 5, 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, if it sounds a little bit like John is repeating himself, that's because he is. He is now summarizing just about everything that he said in the letter so far. And and if, if I could put it into a single sentence, it would be this. that For those of you that like the sort of single sentence summary of these five verses, here it is. The life that God gives by faith always overcomes the world through faith. The life that God gives by faith always overcomes the world through faith guaranteed. Now, I want to I unpack that idea. I want to unpack that, that simple sentence. First, I want us to look at the life that God gives and how he gives it. And then second, what it means that it always overcomes all opposition. It always overcomes the world. And as we think about these five verses, I want you to consider your own life. I want you to consider your spiritual life and what it means to be born of God. All right? So first... The life that God gives by faith. Let's think about that together. The life that God gives by faith. Look again at chapter five, verse one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. And this is love for God to obey his commands. We'll stop there. John, right here in those first three verses brings all three marks of genuine Christianity together, in in, really in the first two verses, and he does it for the first time. Belief in Christ, love for fellow Christians, and obedience to God's commands. And and what he shows in those first, really, two verses is that, that it's a package deal. These three different marks that we've been looking at are all inextricably linked to one another. Do you see how that works? John says that if we love God, will love his children. Now, right there, he's drawing on an experience that I think many of us, maybe not all of us, but many of us get. We understand. We know this personally. As a guy, maybe not all men are like this, but I suspect that most men are like this, I'm not really all that into kids generically, just like in general. You show me a picture of just random baby and not much happens. But if you're my friend... And you show me a picture of your baby, okay, now I'm interested, right? I'm not just kind of into kids. I'm into your kids, especially if I'm close to you, especially if you are important to me, if we are are friends. Well, John says it's the same with God. If we love him, if he's our friend, if he is super important to us, well, then we're going to love the people that are important to him, his children. But how do we know that we actually love God? How do we know that we actually love fellow Christians? Well, John says right there in verses 2 and verses 3, we know by our obedience. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. The, the link between love, love of God, love of Christians, and obedience Actually, shouldn't surprise us. John's made the link before, but he didn't come up with it. I mean, he, I think he got it from Jesus. Right? Jesus is the one who brings these things together. When, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, that is, what's, what's the most important point of obedience, what did he say? The, the, the greatest commandment, he said, was, was to love the Lord your God. And, and the second one like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus went on to say, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The commandment to love God and and to love your neighbor. Biblical love is, is so much more than affection. It's so much more than sentiment. It shows itself in active obedience to God. So so we've got right here at the beginning, we've got love for others, and we've got obedience to God inextricably linked. But but notice that according to John, the source of our love, the source of our obedience isn't us. It's it's not us. It's not our willpower. It's it's not our ethical commitments. The source for our love, the source for our obedience is the new life that we've received through belief in Jesus Christ. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Verse 1. Friends, here's here's the fountainhead. here's, Here's the conception, the beginning of the Christian life. Not our pious love for God. Not our humanitarian love for one another. But faith. That Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. There's the beginning of the Christian life. And so, and so John brings all three marks together into, into one package deal. Love and obedience flowing from the new life that, that faith in Christ brings. They all go together. So where does faith come from? If faith is the beginning, if belief in Christ is, is kind of the fountainhead of all of this, where does belief come from? Well, this is this is the question that that honestly, as I as I talk to non Christian friends, sometimes as I talk to you, that I get asked more than anything else: How how do I find this faith? How, how do I get it? This all sounds great, but I just I I, I don't believe. Where, where, where do I get this faith? Do you, do you just have to kind of manufacture it? Do you have to look deep inside of yourself and kind of screw it up? Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to believe? No. According to John, according to the rest of the New Testament, faith is the result of the new birth, not the cause. Faith is the result of the new birth, not the cause. Look back at verse 1 again. If you're reading the NIV, which is what I read from, it says everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Literally, if we try to take the, the Greek verb, which Greek verbs do things that English verbs don't do, and it, it's, it, it can be quite cumbersome to try to take it in, into into English sometimes, but if we were going to read it literally, it, it would essentially be everyone who believes has been born of God. Not will be born of God, not even is born of God, but everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has already been born of God. In other words, John wants us to be very clear on this God acts first. God initiates. God, who is life, who is the source of life, gives life. And the proof that somebody has received life from God, the proof that somebody has been regenerated, that somebody now has a spiritual life when before they were spiritually dead, the proof is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is the, the means by which we trust in Jesus Christ. but Faith is not the cause of our new birth. If it were, think about this for a moment, if it were, if we're born again because I decided to believe and now God gives me life, well, I've got something to boast in, right? I believed. I, I, I kind of conceived my own spiritual life. I made it happen because I believed. But as Paul points out in Ephesians chapter 2, even our faith is a gift from God. Now, right across the whole New Testament, whether you're reading Paul or whether you're reading John or whether you're reading Jesus, there is no room for boasting. Rather, when, when, when someone is, is born of God, Through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, it is God who acts first. It is God who gives us a a new spiritual life. And with that new spiritual life, a new nature. And what does that new nature do? Well, that that nature now acts according to its nature. That's what nature does, right? We, We act according to our nature. Now we've been given a new nature, a new life. And what does this new life do? It does what comes most naturally to it. It trusts in Christ. It turns to Christ. It believes in Christ and so knows the forgiveness that comes through Christ. But then it keeps on acting according to its nature. And what is the nature of this new life that we're given? Boy, the nature of this new life is to love other Christians for no other reason than that they're Christians. For no other reason that they are connected to Christ too. They are loved by the Father, and I love the Father. And so I'm going to love them. You don't have to be in the same kind of, into the same kind of music as me. You don't have to be from the same background as me. You don't have to be the same age and stage as me. I'm going to love you just because you're a Christian. And what else does this nature do? Well, it does what comes most naturally to it. It obeys God because it loves God. It obeys God gladly. Because it's the nature of this life to do so. Friends, this is why the Christian life, faith, love, and obedience, this is why it's a package deal. It is all or nothing. It is not that, that we should not say that we love God and hate our brother. No, it is that we cannot say that we love God and hate our brother. It's, it's not that we should not say that we love God, but I'm not so sure about Jesus. No, it's, it's, it's we cannot separate the two. It, it's, it's not that we should not say that we love God, but then go on and disobey God. No, we, we cannot. We cannot. It's, it's, it's not an option. It is not an option in exactly the same way that it is not an option for Adrian and I to decide we're going to conceive a puppy. It, we can't do that. We can't even decide that, that, you know, we need to add, you know, another one to our family, and so we're going to conceive a part baby, part puppy. Like, mostly baby, but a little puppy, a little bit. No, we, we, can't, we can't go there. Even if we wanted to go there, we can't go there. There is only one option that we have. If we're going to conceive life, Adrian and I, we're going to conceive a human life. It's the only kind of life we have to give. Well, friends, so it is with God. So it is with God. The nature of the life that God gives, when he gives someone life, man, it's only one kind. It's his life. It's a life that is characterized by faith and love and obedience. Now, why do, I, why do I belabor what to some of you feels like a really obvious point? Here's why. I belabor it because some of us have been taught that we can have our Christianity in parts. You know, we can have salvation now, and then later when you get really serious about it, or if you want to be that kind of Christian, obedience and the lordship of Christ. As if those two things could be separated. Others of us maybe were were raised in in mainline Christianity, liberal Christianity, in in which we've been taught that you can have love of people. You can have love for the world. You can have love for brothers and sisters. But if you're not really into this idea that Jesus got up from the dead, that he's God, that's okay. You, You can separate the two. You can just be into love. You, you, you see, uh, we've been taught, many of us, from, from different directions and by different groups, that you can have a, a kind of hybrid Christianity. But what I want to tell you this morning, what, what John is at pains to make clear, is that the New Testament knows no such thing. There is no such thing as Christianity imparts. There is no such thing as, as the, the Christian life equivalent of part baby, part puppy. It doesn't exist. If you've begun to follow something like that, if you've been trying to live out a Christianity that is part Christianity, but, you know, not all of Christianity, then, then friends, I'm here to tell you, you're following a different religion. Maybe it's working for you, maybe it's not, but it's not Christianity, it's it has nothing to do with the New Testament. New Testament Christianity is all or nothing. And the reason is not because we're narrow. The reason is not because we just want to be really hard on people. The reason that it's all or nothing is because it didn't begin with you. It didn't begin with me. It began with God and the life that he gave us. And he only gives one kind of life. His life, a life that is characterized by faith and love and obedience. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you know you're not a Christian, I want to tell you that here's the good news of Christianity right here. The good news of Christianity is not that you can find God. Now, the good news of Christianity is that God has taken the initiative to find you. God began it. God has reached down. In mercy, God has taken the initiative. He sent his son, not because we asked him for a savior. No, while we were so happy in our rebellion, God took the initiative and sent his son to be the Christ, to be the savior. And when Jesus came, he didn't come in condemnation. No, he came and he actually lived the life that you and I should have lived, but we didn't. And he lived it perfectly. And he lived it gladly. He lived it joyfully. And then he took that life and he took it to the cross. And he gave his life up there. He gave his life on the cross as a sacrifice for us, as a substitute for us. Taking the, the death, the punishment that we deserved because we didn't live the life that we should have lived, that we were made to live. God took the initiative to save sinners. And then having taken that punishment, he didn't then say, okay, I'm getting up from the dead now, over to you. I hope you can figure it out. I hope I've made it clear. It's on you now. No. No, Jesus got up from the dead, and he ascended to the Father so that he could send the Spirit. And through the Spirit, he continues to take the initiative. Because when the Spirit comes, do you know what happens? Dead people become alive. Blind people all of a sudden see. Deaf people hear. This is the initiative that, that Jesus continues to take towards us. He actually invades our lives and makes us alive. So friend, if you're not a Christian, and, and you hear me say that it, that it's actually all up to God. He's he's the one that's got to take the initiative. He's the one that's got to make you alive first. Don't sit there and try to figure out whether or not he's made you alive. Don't don't sit there and try try to figure out, like, has God done what God needs to do? No, prove that he's made you alive by turning to Christ, by repenting of your sins and putting your faith in him because that's the nature of the life that God gives. When God makes a sinner alive, a sinner doesn't get drugged to Christ, kicking and screaming by his his heels. No, when God makes a sinner alive, that sinner runs to Christ. So prove today that God has given you life by confessing that you're a sinner, by confessing your need for Christ and putting your faith in him. Now, now Christian, there is so much for us to take away from these three verses. But what I want want us to take away most of all, as we think about the nature of this life that God has given us, is I I want us to walk away humble and confident. Humble and confident. Realize that, of course, a humble Christian is the only kind of Christian. There there really shouldn't be any other kind of Christian because we recognize it didn't begin with me. I'm not responsible for my own salvation. I mean, why why did you believe in Christ? Think back. If you're a Christian, think back when you put your faith in Christ. Why did you put your trust in Jesus? Is it because you're smarter than everybody else and you figured it out? is it is it because I, I i don't know you're you're just uh that kind you're just a better kind of person is it because you you were you were more holy you're kind of sort of already most of the way there anyway no you know that's not true you believed because god made you alive and you were overwhelmed By God's love, you saw the depth of your sin, and you knew that there was nowhere else to go. Christian, understand that that our humility uh, uh, arises from the fact that every good spiritual thing that we have is a gift from God. And that begins with our faith itself. So this should make us humble but it should also make us confident. Throughout his letter, John has pointed to the presence of of faith, the presence of obedience, the presence of love in our lives, and he's encouraged us to take assurance from the presence of these things. But here he makes clear why these things give us assurance. When you see love in your life, when you see faith in your life, when you observe obedience in your life, you can be assured that you really are a Christian because you know you didn't do it. You know that those things are produced by the life that God gave you. We don't take assurance from our obedience because we see enough obedience there and and we're now confident that that's enough obedience and that'll earn God's approval of me. No. We, We don't take assurance from the presence of faith in our life because we look at our faith and we see, yeah, that's pretty strong faith. Now, I think that's strong enough, and, I, and I'll, I'll take my assurance, my confidence that I'm believing firmly enough. No. You, you don't take assurance from the presence of love in your life as you see you, yourself, not perfectly, but genuinely loving fellow Christians. You don't look at that love in your life and go, yeah, I feel pretty good about myself. I'm, I'm loving. No. No you look at these things and, and you realize that came from God. That faith that I see in my life, oh, it's not as much as I'd like, but that came from God. That, that, that love that, that actually is happening in my life towards fellow believers, that didn't come from me. That came from God. That, that, that faith that Jesus is the Christ, that he is my Savior, I didn't think that up. That came from God and the life that he has given me. God loved us first. And when he does, he produces these things in us truly, really. Now, progressively, they can all grow. You know, they, they can be weaker, they can be stronger. But their presence means that God is at work in your life that he has given you life. And we know, we know that what God gives, he does not take away. More importantly, we know that that what God starts, he finishes. What God begins, I I can't get rid of it. He's he's put it deep in me. It's, It's my nature now. If you're a Christian, it's your nature you can't change that any more than you can change your DNA. I, 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 like, to, I like to joke with my kids that, uh, that because, because they like grits, and we made grits the other night. Mm, it was very good. Did y'all know what grits are? Yeah, not really. Because you didn't live in the deep south like I did. You've had that, those nasty instant grits, and you've tasted those nasty instant grits, and you've rejected grits on that basis. I'm here to tell you, you haven't tasted grits. Anyway, I joke with my kids that because they like grits, I know they belong to me. I know they belong to me. They are my kids. Because here's the truth of it, isn't it? Our kids might want to deny us as parents. We are pretty embarrassing as it, you know, I mean, that's that's just the way of life, right? Parents are embarrassing. So our kids might want to deny us, but they can't from the way they look to the way they talk to their likes and their dislikes, the, the nature of us as parents has been stamped way too deeply on them. Sorry, kids. Well, it's the same with God. He has stamped His nature on us. And so when we see love, and obedience, and faith? The world knows, and we can't deny it. We belong to God. But but more importantly than the world knowing it, we know it. We can look at our own lives and know for sure, I belong to God. He is my Father, because His nature has been stamped on me. It has given me life, and I could no more deny it then my kids could deny that they belong to me. The life that God gives by faith, it's a package deal. But second, let's think about what that life does in us. Let's think about what it means that this life overcomes the world through faith. It overcomes the world through faith. Look, look there at the second half of uh, verse three. And his commands are not burdensome, because remember he's just said he's just said that this is love for God to obey his commands. So, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. According to John, through faith, everyone born of God has overcome the world and will continue to overcome the world. Now, what does that mean? Well, first it means that those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, those who don't have faith and therefore are not born of God, they are still in the world's thrall, under the world's dominion. As 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 we've seen before, for John, the world is not so much a, a physical place as it is humanity in its organized opposition to God, humanity in its settled and committed unbelief and opposition. And what John calls our attention to here is that this opposition is not independent. This this opposition to God that the world knows, it's it's not a free opposition. Unbelief is is not this this noble act of existential bravery. It's not the exercise of a free reason, unfettered by prejudice. No, unbelief is an expression of servile slavery to the spiritual powers of this world. It is an expression of slavery. Outside of Christ, humanity... Every single person has been conquered by sin. They are under its thrall, under under its dominion. So, of course, when the world encounters God's commands, when the world encounters the, 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 the call of God to a life of holiness, to a life of obedience, the world finds that burdensome. The world finds it irksome, annoying, and irritating because the world has neither the desire nor the power, nor the ability to obey. Because outside of Christ, we we serve a different master. We are slaves to a different master, The, the evil one, Satan himself. That's what it means on the one hand. On the other hand, John points out, those who have put their faith in Christ, therefore those who have been born of God, have overcome the world, and will continue to overcome the world. To have overcome the world is to have overcome opposition to God. It's it's to have rejected decisively unbelief and and, and the rejection of God, and instead to have turned to God. Everyone who's been born of God has done that decisively. They have rejected unbelief, and they have turned to God in faith. But, But John goes on to say, we continue to overcome the world. What does it mean to continue to overcome the world? Well, it simply means to live out these three marks of genuine Christianity, to to live out a life of of faith and love and obedience. Through, Through faith, we overcome the moral pressure of the world to disobedience. You see, it's not that disobedience isn't attractive. It frankly is attractive. But by faith, we know that our treasure is somewhere else. There's there's a better life for us. And so we say no to to disobedience. Through faith, we overcome the intellectual pressure of the world to unbelief and and, and skepticism. I'm not saying that there's no reason to doubt. If you're here this morning and, and you look at Christianity and you find that you have doubts, basically, I want to say, welcome to the club. And to be quite honest, the longer I've lived, and particularly the longer I've lived as a Christian, the the more real those doubts have become to me, the more serious those doubts have been. I kind of wish it was the other way, but frankly, when I was in my 20s, I found it very easy to basically exercise faith and have no doubts. Now in my 40s, no doubt is pretty much a constant friend. But by faith, Yeah, I look at those doubts, but then I look back to Christ. I look to the evidence, the testimony to Christ in the New Testament. I I look at the evidence of the reality of Christ in your lives and in my life, and I overcome those doubts. By faith, we also overcome the social pressure of this world to basically give ourselves to service of self, to to, to self-love. Now, now again, I think basically every day I would rather get up in the morning and serve me rather than serve you, every day, you know? That's, that's the power, that's the reality of ongoing sin in my life. My wife can testify to it. But by faith, I remind myself that actually life is not about me. And, and, and that the man who, who tries to save his life, the man who focuses on his own life to, to, to try to, to make sure that everything about his life works, and he's going to lose his life. It's, 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 beyond, it's, it's beyond our ability, right, to, to save ourselves, to make our lives work. But, but Jesus promises that the one who actually dies to himself, instead of trying to save himself, dies to himself and gives himself in a life of love to others Oh, what does that person find? That person finds life. That person finds love. I, I, had, that, I had this experience j- just this weekend, right? I was, uh, I was tired and grumpy. And when I'm tired and grumpy, I get snappy. I'm sure that never happens to you. <laughs> and I really snapped at Adrian and one of the kids. And I felt deeply justified in it. It produced no life in my family, right? Serving myself in that moment produced no life. It produced no joy. It produced no happiness. And it didn't matter how justified I felt. And praise God the, it, it didn't happen as quickly as it should have. But, but the Lord convicted me of my sin. I'm not saying that there aren't other sinners, but I, I'm, I'm not responsible I'm responsible for my sin. The Lord, the Lord convicted me of my sin. And I had the opportunity to go back to Adrian and, and confess my sin and acknowledge it and own it and not shift the blame and not say, I know it was wrong, but, but to just say it was wrong. And here's why it was wrong. Here's what I was doing. I was living in fear. I was assuming that something was going to happen three steps down the road that actually hadn't happened yet, and I was taking it out on you. And that was wrong. That was sin. Will you forgive me? And she did. And life came, right? Life and joy and happiness was the result of that. What, what, what led me there? I don't mean to be the hero of the story, but what, what led me there? What led me there was faith. B- believing the truth that if I will confess my sins and depend on Christ's justification of me rather than my own justification of me, find my security and identity there, and then give myself humbly to my wife, that that I won't be destroyed, that everything won't come crumbling down, But that that, God, God will bring forgiveness, and he'll bring life, and he'll bring joy there, and that is exactly what happened. It is by faith. That we overcome the world as we love one another, as we obey God, as we confess Christ. Friends, this is victorious living. Victorious living isn't sinlessness. because That's the word John uses here. This this idea of overcoming and and the idea of victory, they're they're related. To be an overcomer is is to be a victorious one, a conquering one. Victorious living in Christ is not sinlessness. It's it's not letting go and letting God. It's not having received some sort of second blessing or entering into some sort of higher life. No, victorious living is the Christian life. That's all it is. It is the Christian life, a life that is characterized by faith and love and obedience And we pursue that life in repentance and faith. This isn't isn't something just for a special class of Christians. This is for all Christians. Because according to John, everyone born of God, everyone overcomes and continues to overcome. And the reason is because of the nature of the life that God has given us. This is what that life does. God's life overcomes. John presses this home in verse 4. He says there, Every, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. L- literally, he doesn't say everyone, he says whatever. Whatever has been born of God overcomes the world. I, I, and we, I think the reason he does this is he's wanting to put the emphasis not on the person who's received the new birth. But on the power of the new birth itself. It's not you. It, it, it's not me. It's God. It's God and the life that he gives us that overcomes unbelief, that, that overcomes immorality, that, that overcomes lovelessness and disobedience. This is what his life does in us. Guaranteed. Every time. So if if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to see how this explains something that you experience in your life. This is why the change that you want in your life always seems just beyond your reach. Or or maybe it happens, but but it doesn't last. The reality is you can change, but you can't change yourself. Only the Christ has the power to free you from your slavery. He defeated the world at the cross, and then he got up with new life. And so I would ask you, I would plead with you, I would would urge you, ask him, ask him for this life. He will give it to you today. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've always thought of yourself as a Christian, but you've always found obedience a drag. You, You read this. This, you know, His commands are not burdensome, and, and you think, what is he talking about? Of course his commands are burdensome. You've always found obedience a drag. You've always found love for others tiresome. Friend, the answer is not try harder. Perhaps the answer is to recognize that you've not yet been born of God. This is why it's so burdensome. And, and, and so the solution for you is turn to Christ. Turn to Christ today. Find that new life today. Christian, I want you to take hope from this passage, and this is where we're going to conclude. I want you to take hope from this, because that's how John means it. John's John's not saying let go and let God. He's not not saying that if you were really a spirit-filled Christian, then then the life of love and obedience would be a breeze. No, he's saying that the life of God in you wins. God's life which you have, by faith, through Jesus Christ, overcomes sin, it overcomes Satan and death itself, it overcomes unbelief, and it does it in every Christian, every time, guaranteed. Now, it may not be happening on your timetable. I get that. It it may not be happening in your preferred manner. But Christian, it will happen. It is happening. The life that God gave you is His life. It's it's eternal life. And so the grand mark of Christians is that they persevere because the life He's given you does not fail. It does not end. Christians overcome. It's in their very nature. So when you find yourself struggling with sin, when you find yourself struggling to love others, when you find yourself struggling to believe, What do you do? What do you turn? Turn to Jesus. Turn to the Son of God who came to be the Savior of the world, who came to be your Savior. And what does Jesus say to you when you turn to him? What he says is not try harder. What he says is not you're not measuring up. No, what he says is child, repent and put your faith in me. Trust me. The enemy would have you believe that your need to repent is evidence that you're not really a Christian. It's a lie. Boy, had I believed that lie this weekend, I wouldn't have taken the risk to go to my wife and admit to her what I had done wrong. I would have actually stayed in in the need to justify myself, and I would have continued to pretend that I was okay, that I was in the right. But, But what happens when, as Christians, struggling with sin, struggling with unbelief, we turn to Jesus and we hear him say, repent and believe, you know what happens? We get to the other side of that, and we go, "I think I might really be a Christian. I think I really am a Christian, because his life is at work in me. It's changing me. It's leading me to overcome, to overcome sin. Overcome fear and instead to trust him. Only he who believes in Jesus overcomes the world. But, friends, that means that all who believe in Jesus overcome the world. Guaranteed. It's the nature of the life you have. It's the only kind of life that Jesus gives because it's the only kind of life he has. Do you have that life? Let's pray. Father, we are so often overwhelmed by a knowledge of our sin, by by a knowledge of the ways that we do not live up to what you've called us to be as Christians. Father, we pray that that you would give us as believers the the insight to to see that that, that even our our concern about sin is evidence that that you're at work in us. We, We pray that you would give us the the confidence in the gospel, that that we would no longer feel like we need to hide and pretend that we are not who we are, that that we would give up our our efforts at self-justification, and that instead we would be characterized by repentance and faith, and so know with confidence that we belong to you as we see you increasingly work faith and love and obedience in us. And, O Lord, our prayer is that you would act powerfully and sovereignly in the lives of those who do not know you today. We pray that you would bring life today and that that would be proven. As men and women in this room turn to you in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.